This is the preview to episode 274, part two, Shelling on Self-Consciousness, where we wrap up our treatment of the system of transcendental idealism from 1800. In the clip you're about to hear right near the beginning, we start off with the quote that we had briefly discussed in part one, whereby truths of logic are supposed to presuppose objects in the world. Check it out. Well, there's a, and point three here, a nice little quote. Having thought A, I admittedly think of it as A, but how then do I come to think A in the first place? If it is a concept freely engendered, it begets no knowledge. If it is one that arises with the feeling of necessity, it must have objective reality. So that's just a callback to what I was wondering about of what makes something objective and that has some relation to a concept freely engendered, however you want to take that. You can't even say that would be purely subjective. To have knowledge has to be, again, the identity of the subjective with the objective, which impresses itself upon us with something of necessity. Yeah. So just to maybe explain that for listeners, this is the idea that the Humean objection, the thing that would make scientific knowledge impossible, is that since things cause each other, causality is predicated on this idea that it'll always happen and that one thing is actually necessitating the other and that they're not just associated representations, something like that, just just ideas that happen to follow on each other. So for instance, when the billiard ball, one billiard ball hits another and makes it move, it really is making it move. There's necessity there. It's not just like movie frames juxtaposed to each other, right? So the representation of the billiard ball doesn't make the representation of the other billiard ball move. They're just juxtaposed and so one can wonder if reality is just like that as well just the juxtaposition of these different frames in the film reel so feeling this feeling of necessity they're talking about is seen as being integral to the concept of science and in this case i think so he's again he's trying to argue that the analytic comes from the synthetic but it's unclear to me how he's doing that i'm looking at three here now all propositions in which subject and predicate are linked, not by the mere identity of thinking, but by something alien to the thought and distinct from it are called synthetic. And if so, the whole of our knowledge consists in nothing but synthetic propositions. And only therein do we find true knowledge, that is, unknowing, that it has its object outside itself. You know, this is another way of saying that we need to ground this in the principle of self-consciousness as that third mediating thing, right? That makes it synthetic. All right, so basically what he's saying is we need something synthetic but it's synthetic without making recourse to something outside of the subject. And he says, this contradiction would be soluble only if some point could be found in which the identical and the synthetic are one, or some proposition which, in being identical, is at once synthetic, and in being synthetic is at once identical. Where identical is a synonym for the analytic. Synthetic and analytic. So a proposition that it's simultaneously synthetic and analytic. Or something. Which is to say that you need something that is the same as itself, but is also not the same as itself. And so it sounds like this is either going to be just an absurdity, this is a contradiction, let's just throw this whole text away, or they are going to be the same and different in different senses, in which case it doesn't prove anything. The fact that the word I has different meanings. So it has to be, if it's going to have different meanings, then they have to be tightly related meanings, meanings that are related in some interesting way. I'm trying to make sense of this. Well, I think part of what's going on is knowledge has to be synthetic ultimately because it has to be informative or ampliative to use Kant's term. It just can't all just be analytic 
propositions or tautologies or whatever. But to get any sense of certainty, you need the analytic. And the analytic he's associating with our immediate, the certainty of the analytic he's associating with our immediate access to our own consciousness. So we have immediate access to our own subjectivity, but what does that give us? That's a very formal, empty kind of certainty. We need content. We need the synthetic. And so that's the contradiction here. We're going to need a principle which can do both. And again, self-consciousness as a kind of intuitive activity is going to do both. It's going to give us both the objective and the subjective, the synthetic and the analytic, the sense that there's the two different things are being united, and yet the sense that there's an immediate certainty to what's happening. Those things can all be brought together in this principle of self-consciousness, where there's this immediacy, but there's also objectivity. Can I just pull on Fichte to try to guess what this same but different, you know, this synthetic identity is going to be, which is Fichte talked about me as an object in the world and me as a pure subject within ultimately the realm beyond experience. So there's something just in the phenomenological experience of self-consciousness that actually does reveal that thing, that in one sense we are eternal, we are outside of time, we are infinite. And in another sense, we're very clearly limited. The fact that even just perceiving something in front of you, that ends up being a limit to you, right? If you just did the Avicenna thing and closed your eyes and had no senses, then you would have a feeling of yourself merely as just taking up the world because there's just nothing else that we, but as soon as we have perception at all, then we are now a limited being. So I think there is something really phenomenological and not merely transcendental, like, you know, a behind the scenes description of what's going on here. I think he really thinks you can, as you were saying, Fichte says, like, look at the wall and find the eye in that, that there is some relationship between you as sort of the immortal soul hanging out in there and you, the thing that is being confronted by the wall. That's just my attempt to add some color <laughs> to this otherwise very pale and dry text. Here's another quote that's kind of illustrative. He wants to find the point at which the object and its concept, the thing and its presentation are originally absolutely and immediately one. So that's what we need here to solve this problem of having immediate access and certitude and yet having something be objective and synthetic. We need representation, which just is the object. And that in turn is going to be possible only in an act of intuition in which an act of intuition sort of takes itself as an object and therefore creates the self in doing that. Can I jump ahead to page 23? You should just read those last two whole paragraphs because in every proposition, two concepts are compared together. That is, they are either set equal or unequal to each other. Now, in identical propositions, the thought is compared merely with itself. The synthetic proposition, on the other hand, goes beyond the mere thought. In thinking the subject of the proposition, I do not also think the predicate. The latter is annexed to the subject. Thus, the object here is not merely determined by the thought of it. It is regarded as real, since anything is real that cannot be brought about merely by thought. Now, if an identical proposition is one in which concept is compared only with concept, while a synthetic proposition is one in which the concept is compared with an object distinct from itself, the task of finding 
A point at which the identical knowledge is at the same time synthetic amounts to this. To find a point at which the object and its concept, the thing and its presentation, are originally, absolutely, and immediately one. All this talk of form and content and synthetic and analytic and all that is to set up this point right here, where are subject and object, the thing and its presentation, identical, and yet they're different. So in 5b, right, he thought he showed that we need a point at which the synthetic springs directly from the analytic and vice versa. And then he's going to say here, if that's true, the only way we can get that is by having this identity between object and concept. So this flows as a whole proof, even though it's very difficult to, to get a handle on it. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support and sign up for membership either on our site or on patreon.com slash partiallyexaminelife. Thanks for listening.